there, this is Jen Wade, part of the core team here at Springs Church. We just want to say thank you so much for joining us and listening to our podcast. We are praying that it encourages you and it inspires you. And if you'd like to find out more about Springs Church, please visit our website, springschurch.co.uk. Here's today's message. Band and worship leaders, and thank you for being here today. It's, uh, it's really good to see you. My name is John. It's... Uh, my privilege to be one of the pastors here at Springs Church and uh, to welcome you, particularly if you're a, a first-time guest. Um, if you are not new to, to church life, it may feel a little bit strange that we're, uh, we're lively and excited about the God that we worship. Uh, we're, we're happy to be here and uh, we, we believe that, that church is a place where we can come and uh, enjoy ourselves. We want to enjoy each other's company. We also want to enjoy worshipping God. Um, I just want to start by, uh, I, I apologize to the core team because I've already told them this, this story, but um, I just want to tell um, you what happened to me this week. This is absolutely uh, true. I went to, um, on Monday, uh, one of my old friends and uh, clients uh, has not been well, and uh, myself and my business partners decided that we'd take him out for lunch. So, um, and I'm going to tell the story, uh, that, that my, little, my friend Frank is uh, not very well, he's a little short guy, and he's from Liverpool, and uh, he's actually a lapsed Catholic, and uh, he was talking to me, and he was telling me about the time that the Pope uh, visited Liverpool, and um, the Pope did a series of meetings, and then there was this last meeting where the Pope was praying for people. And the Pope apparently announced at the end of the meeting, look, you know, I've got to go soon, but is the one last person that would like prayer. Uh, and this little scouse guy came out and he went up to the Pope and, uh, and he said to the Pope, I'm really concerned about my hearing. So the Pope put his hands on this guy's ears and he prayed for him and he took his hands off his ears and he looked him in the, the eyes and said, well, well, how's that then? And the guy said, well, I'm not really certain. My hearing's not till next Thursday. I don't know, um, well, it was, a true, it was true that I was told that story by Frank on, uh, on Monday. Uh, I don't know if it's actually uh, a true story, I very much doubt it. But what I wanted to say is I do believe that church is a, it's really important that when we come to church, we are able to relax in each other's company. We're, we're allowed to enjoy ourselves, we're allowed to laugh. We're also allowed to cry. And um, it's, it's a great privilege being able to share with people, but sometimes... Uh, what we have to share um, is tough. We've spoken quite a lot this year already about the fact that Jesus came and, and that Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. That's really important. We've spoken about this quite a lot. Uh, and what that means is that, that, that when Jesus dealt with people, he was unbelievably gracious and graceful to them. He was very tolerant. He was very forgiving. But on the other hand, he never, ever pulled his punches, and uh, he spoke bluntly about certain things. Now, I, I want to say, if we can just get the first slide up, that, that if you've come today for a light session, I, I'm going to disappoint you, because this is what I feel God has, has put on my heart to share with you today. And I want to talk about sin. Now, sin is something that, that in this day and age, we don't really hear a great deal about. Many, many people struggle with the concept of sin at all. We can understand that somebody um, like Vladimir Putin is evil. 
and he's doing evil things. And it's very easy to kind of sit back and say, well, that's terrible, there's evil in the world, and we can agree that that's a wrong thing. What we find harder to believe is that the Bible, if you read it and interpret it correctly, actually says to you that, that all of us have sinned. And in God's sight, our sin is just as serious as Vladimir Putin's sin. That's actually a fact of what the Bible says. And it's hard for us to understand because we certainly, I'm sure I don't feel as, as, as wicked a person as he is. I'd like to think I've never done anything like he has. And we, we kind of feel that we are better than people like him. But the Bible doesn't differentiate because it says all have sinned. Uh, I also really need to warn you um, that today's message is extremely X-rated. So, um, you know, if, if I offend anybody, we've got to get down to some real basics today. Uh, so I'm just warning you in advance because I want to talk to you about the story of a guy called David who was uh, a king of Israel, a chosen king of Israel. Uh, but this story portrays him in a particularly bad light. So this is the story of David and Bathsheba, okay? This is from one, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11 in the Old Testament part of the Bible. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. I just like the way the whole scene is said. In the spring when kings go off to war, that's what kings do in the springtime. After the bad weather of the winter, uh, it begins to get a bit better and the kings then decide now is the time uh, to go out to war. Now the writer is implying that David, as king, should really have been going off to war himself. But he chose to stay in Jerusalem. In the previous chapter, chapter 10, we actually read a story uh, about Joab, David's leader, going to war, uh, and Joab and the army were, were, were preserved when they were fighting against the Syrians and the Ammonites at that time, but they didn't actually win the battle. And, and, and the, the story in the chapter just before goes on to say that it was only when David arrived, only when David came and began to direct operations that they won the previous battle. So it, it is genuinely quite clear that, that David as the leader would have been expected to be there. For, but for whatever reason, he decided to stay in Jerusalem. Okay. One evening, David got up from his bed. He walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. Now, this in one sense, you may look at this, and, and for those of you that know the story, you may think, well, this is the catalyst. This is the, this is the spark that caused David to fall and all of the other things. It was actually the fact that he was, he was there and, and he, he looked and saw this woman bathing. That, that wasn't the catalyst. The catalyst for what David was about to do wasn't even the fact 
that David had stayed in Jerusalem when he perhaps should have been out at war. That could have been the catalyst. But actually the catalyst was this. David was a king in Israel. Israel at that time had, had been given uh, the law by Moses and God had given some very, very specific laws about marriage and sexual behavior. And to be quite honest, David had really not abided with any of them at all. Uh, he had many, many wives. And the catalyst to all of David's subsequent behavior was actually the fact that he indulged himself. He indulged his, his nature, his sinful nature, if you like, uh, and he kept on adding wives and indulging himself. And he get to the stage now where he's given an opportunity to further indulge uh, himself. So David's walking on the roof. Um, very probably uh, at the time when everybody else would be asleep, he, he might have been restless. He was walking on the roof and he saw this lady whose name was Bathsheba. And the Bible tells us that she was very beautiful. And I'd like to suggest to you that David probably, once he spotted her, took quite some time lingering on the sight in front of his eyes. I don't think David saw her and turned away straight away. David indulged himself further. He began to look at her. I'm absolutely sure that that's the case. Um, David had got many wives, but David's lust was not satisfied by the fact that he got many, many wives. Um, because when we talk about what we call sins of the flesh, when we talk about things that really get to us, they can never be satisfied. Sins like that are never, ever satisfied. David could have had dozens of wives, but his lusts were still unsatisfied. And actually, we can read later on that David's son, who was actually from this lady Bathsheba, a guy called Solomon, the Bible tells us that Solomon had... 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's a thousand. Now, let me tell you, if one woman isn't enough, a thousand women aren't enough either. It's that type of thing. That's why I'm saying that the, the sins of the flesh are never, ever satisfied. You can't think, I'll just do this one thing and then that'll be it. The more and more you indulge, the more and more you want. I'm afraid that is the way that it is. But the Bible says that the woman was beautiful. David saw beauty. And as I was preparing for this, it made me think about what we see or say and what God actually sees or says. David looked at the woman and he saw beauty. When God saw David and the woman, he saw ugliness. We say... They've had an affair. God says they committed adultery. We say love drew me to it. The Bible says lust drove you to it. We say, oh, it's ever so sexy. And the Bible says it's sin. We say it's just so romantic. God says it's leading to ruin. We say it's, it's my destiny. You know, it's meant to be. God says it's not destiny, it's leading to destruction. God's 
sight of these things is completely different to us. But anyway, verse 3. And David sent someone to find out about the lady. The man who found out said, She's Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, and she is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David started to pursue his temptation. He'd been on the roofs, he'd looked down, he'd seen Bathsheba having a bath, and he pursued his temptation. He didn't just draw a line in this. He thought, I've got to do something about it. So he he found out, and he was told at least two things. He was told, number one, that she was married. And the second thing he was told was, was, she was actually married to this guy called Uriah the Hittite. Now, it's an odd name, But this man, Uriah, was very close to David. He was one of what was known as David's mighty men. He was one of the group of men that led David's armies along with Joab. He was a close confidant of David. So David chose to do what he was just about to do, not only with a married woman, but with one of his mate's wives. Okay? It's getting deeper and deeper. So... Verse 4, then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now, she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. He proceeded with his plan. Surprise, surprise, verse 5, the woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. Um, Certainly an unwanted consequence of what they've been getting up to. Perhaps not a totally unexpected uh, consequence of what they'd been getting up to. It was certainly unwanted, however, because the law of the day said in these circumstances that both the adulterer and the adulteress should be executed. They should be put to death. That was the penalty that was prescribed in the law of Moses for people that committed adultery. David the king had sinned, he got a woman pregnant, and even though he was king, the law was the law, he was facing death. So he decided to try and do something about it. Let me read the next few verses to you. The story continues. So David sent Are we on the right page? I can't see yet. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, how the war was going. In other words, Uriah came to David. David had been sleeping with his wife. He was that embarrassed, he indulged him in small talk. You know, how's it going in the war? You know, and how's Joab doing? And, And how's the soldiers? Uh, And anyway, the reason that David was doing this was he had a cunning plan, but it wasn't really cunning enough. Because David then said to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and listen to this, a gift from the king was sent after him. Now, I reckon that this gift was like a fruit basket or a gift of fruit and drink. It was something to kind of set the romantic scene. So when Uriah w- was going home uh, to his wife, you know, there was a gift from the king. They were going to have a, they were going to have a really special time together, you see. Um, if the Jews kind of ate shellfish, I'm sure there'd have been some oysters in there, but they probably weren't having oysters because they weren't allowed that. But, but 
you know, they were, you know, can you see the scene here? That, that David was quite really encouraging Uriah to go back home and have some husband and wife time with his wife. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants. He did not go down to his house. David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? What are you playing at, man? You've been away for months. Your wife's there waiting for you. Why didn't you go home? And then verse 11, next slide. Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. This guy had got integrity. He was thinking, all of my comrades are back there. How can I indulge myself at home when they're all out on the battlefield? Far more integrity than David showed. Far more integrity. But then David's plan kind of gets deeper. He thinks, well, this isn't good enough. So David said to him, look, stay here for just one more day, and then tomorrow I will send you back. In other words, Uriah, tonight's your last possible night. You're going back to battle tomorrow. You're going back to battle. So for goodness sake, make sure you make the most of your last night with your wife. More than that, it says here, so Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And then more than that, at David's invitation, he ate and drank with him. And David made him drunk. Now, you know, I, I don't know that much about these type of things, but actually, I wouldn't actually have thought that making somebody blind drunk was the best way to achieve what you were trying to achieve. But anyway, David made him drunk. He tried to make it even worse, okay? But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants, he did not go home. So David was kind of got this cunning plan, I'm going to get Uriah there and it will all be covered up, everybody will be fine because, you know, Uriah will have been with his wife and everybody presume the baby's Uriah's not mine, everything's going to be alright, but, but Uriah didn't play ball. And this is where the sin gets bigger and bigger, okay? Because David knew that this had happened, and then we get to verse 14, and this is where it gets tragic. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. This is amazing because what David was actually doing was saying, Uriah is such an upright guy, he's such a trustworthy guy. I'm going to write a letter to Joab, I'm going to give it to Uriah. And Uriah, I trust him that much, he's not going to read the content of the letter. He was effectively giving him his own execution warrant to deliver to his boss. That was what was happening. Because in it, verse 15, David wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died, and Joab sent David a full account of the battle. So David, to try and sort this problem out, sends this guy to his death. He gets killed in battle. Make no two bones about this. This is murder. This is murder. It's not an unfortunate coincidence. David arranged 
through other people for Uriah to be murdered. And then we just skip a few verses. When Uriah's wife, that's Bathsheba, heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. That's probably one of the most understatements of the Bible, is it? You know, God was a bit annoyed. I think he was a bit more annoyed. I think he was a bit more than displeased. I would imagine God's anger was burning against David at this time. The Bible doesn't tell us whether Bathsheba was in any way complicit with David about this plan to have Uriah killed. We don't know that. We can be really certain, however, that she was complicit in what they'd been getting up to. This was not somebody that had been dragged against her will. They were indulging in, in an affair. And the way that David kind of covered it up, so far as he thought, was this. Well, you know, the time of mourning was over. That's probably only seven days. That's how long it takes to get over your husband dying, according to the, uh, <laughs> the Bible. Uh, so within about seven days, she uh, became his wife and they had a honeymoon baby. She bore him a son. So the people probably thought, what a marvelous king we have. Look how he takes care of his soldiers' widows. He kind of marries them. He looks after them. David kind of got some brownie points from the people for this. But the most important line is, the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Now just note, that's the end of the story that we're looking at, but just note how this happens, how it starts. It starts with David being a king and indulging his sexual appetite. He'd done this for 20 odd years. He'd been king for about 20 years before this occurred and during that time you know he'd had as many women as he could think of. He'd really indulged and he was used to indulging his nature and his appetite. But he then sees this woman and there's lust in his eyes. The lust of, of, of you know, and Jesus said that, that even looking at somebody with a lustful thought is the same as committing adultery. And this is actually why it is, because he had the lust in his eyes, then he actually committed uh, adultery, then he tried to cover it up, and then he ended up effectively committing murder. Now, if David had seen the outcome from the beginning, I'd like to suggest to you that, that, that David probably would not ever have thought He'd never have thought that the consequence of what he was doing would lead from one thing to the other to the other. But that's the way that sin is. If we indulge ourselves in any way, we go to the next step. And the next step leads to something else, and the next step leads to something else. That is how the enemy attracts us. That's how the enemy draws us in. If you could see the end from the beginning, there's lots of things in our lives that we wouldn't do, I'm sure. I'm not just talking about sinful things, but, but nevertheless, David is sucked in. And what he did displeased God. Now, you may today uh, be thinking, well, you know, I'm sitting here and I, 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 don't, feel, I don't feel too guilty about this because I haven't done anything like that. I've not murdered anybody. I, I've, I've certainly not done that. And, and actually, I'm, I think I'm, I'm pretty safe and I'm pretty immune. Can, can we just have the next slide? This is the thing. The Bible tells us 
that David was a man after God's own heart. Acts 13, 22, after removing Saul, the previous king, God made David their king. God himself testified, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and he will do everything I want him to do. David was chosen specifically by God. David was a man who loved God. David was a man who made himself a fool for God. He, he danced in front of God. You know, if you think springs can be a bit lively, I tell you the worship in those days was ten times more lively. There's accounts of David dancing in the streets before, you know, before God and really didn't care what anybody thought of him. You know, some of us were a bit embarrassed to you know, put our hands up in worship. David was doing cartwheels down the street rejoicing in his God. David wrote the vast majority of the Psalms that we read. He was a, a deeply, deeply spiritual man. Friends, I want to tell you, if David could have been tempted, we're not immune to that temptation. It might not be the thing that attracted David. There'll be other things that we all have our own weak points, certain things that, that, that the enemy will be aware are our own individual Achilles heels. We're not immune to it. Next slide, please, uh, Stella. Because the Bible says for all, Romans 3.23, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we're all, we're all sinners. We've all let God down. The Bible makes it really clear. We've all fallen short of God's standards. But then this last verse, thanks, Stella. Next slide says this. John 1.3, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all of our unrighteousness. So that's what happened for David. We haven't got all the time in the world to go on with the story, but basically a man called Nathan was a really brave man because the king of Israel in those days had ultimate power, but this man was spoken to by God. He went to David and he told him a, a, a parable. And then he actually, you know, David, the Bible tells us that David got so angry about this story and then Nathan boldly said, it's you I'm talking about. And David knew what he'd done was wrong. And the Bible tells us that David confessed, he repented, and he did end up putting himself right with God. God will forgive if we ask some of you here today may not be Christians. You may think this is the weirdest thing you've done in a long time. You've come to this lively church where everybody seems to be excited about God. We've sung some nice songs. We've had a couple of jokes. And then this guy in a pink jumper starts talking about sin. That, that's not kind of the regular Sunday afternoon. You know, I could have been watching Man City play Villa at the moment. And I'm here. But I want to say that, that God is real. God is here. And God is a God of truth. And God today, if you've never considered these things, he's actually saying to you, you know, we're all sinners. And today may be the day that you are actually confronted with your sin and you can put yourself right with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. It could also be that, that today you've been in church thousands of times and this isn't that unusual experience for you. But actually at Springs Church, Perhaps we haven't spoken about sin enough in the past. And today, God is actually putting his finger on your life and he's talking to you about something that you know is wrong in your life. 
and today is the day that you can put it right. And I tell you something, I actually think that if you're a Christian and you're involved in, in some form of sin, you're probably in a worse position mentally and psychologically than if you're not a Christian. If actually you've never really been convicted of sin and you're just getting on doing whatever it is you might be doing and not really giving God a second thought, well, you, you know, you're, you're just getting on with your life and, you, and, you, and then all of a sudden you get confronted by it. If you're a Christian and you know that you're not right with God, that's a terrible place to be in. I read this about this story, and this is really interesting, I think. It said this, when David committed adultery with Bathsheba, it says David had too much sin in him to be happy with God, but he had too much of God in him to be happy in sin. He was between a rock and a hard place. God, David loved God. There was too much sin in David's life at this stage for him to be able to have a relationship with God. But there was still too much of God in him for him to actually really just be happy in sin and get on with it. As Christians, we can be in that position. We can be in that position that we know what's right and wrong. And actually, it's a terrible place to be in. So I'm going to end with four important reminders, okay? And then we're going to go into... Uh, a time of taking communion, and uh, we're going to have an opportunity to respond to this message. But I just want to give you four things uh, as I was preparing this message that I want to leave with you because I believe these will be helpful. We've, we've read a story from the Old Testament. We've, we've talked about things we don't always talk about in church. But I want to try and give you some pointers to take out of this uh, that you can apply now. The first one is this. Feeling shame is not repentance. It's no ju good just feeling bad about stuff you've done and thinking, well, because I feel a bit miserable and I know I really shouldn't have done that. Well, that's all right because, you know, God will forgive me. That is not repentance. Feeling shame is not repentance. If you want to be forgiven, you have to repent. You have to confess. So that's the first point, okay? Second point is this. You need to confess your sin. You, now, I'm not talking here. We're not a Catholic church. I'm not saying that we're going to have a little booth set up and you, you've got to come and tell one of the pastors here about everything you've been getting up to. That's not the way that we think th things should happen. But we do believe that sin needs to be confessed, probably just between you and God, possibly with somebody that you've sinned against. I don't know. But you need to confess and you need to ask God to give you a new heart. The Bible says if we confess our sin, if we repent, God will put a new heart in us, a heart that isn't as tempted as we were at the moment. Okay? Next point. If you've confessed your sin, if you genuinely have repented, but you're still feeling guilty about what's gone in the past, I want to, with the authority of the Bible, relieve you of that guilt because I want to say, if you are genuinely a Christian and you have confessed your sin and you've repented and you are still feeling guilty, that guilt is not from God. God is not putting that guilt on you. Romans 8 verse 1 says this, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If God's forgiven you, he's really forgiven you, 
And if you're feeling guilty, yet you know that you have confessed your sin, I want you to remove that guilt now because that guilt is just your mind playing tricks on you or it's the enemy trying to remind you of stuff that's gone on in the past and God is saying, it's over, it's dealt with. What Jesus did was adequate. And linked to this guilt, the last point is this. Recognize that even though you may remember your sin, God doesn't. This is amazing. Psalm 103 verse 12 says this, As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our sins from us. Because God's God, and I can't understand how this works, God genuinely has the capability to forget our sins even when we can't. That is amazing. God does not look at any of us and say, God, that's Pete. I can't believe what he was doing yesterday. He's a pastor of the church along with John. Oh, that's John. How dare he stand up and preach when he... You know, God doesn't look at us like that. He won't be looking at anybody here and saying, I remember what you did and you should be feeling guilty about it. God is actually saying today, there is no guilt, there is no condemnation, and I tell you what, I genuinely don't even remember what you've done because I love you that much. I cannot see you through the sin that you've done. I can only see you through the blood of my son Jesus. And because of that, I love you so much. I just see you as a perfect person regardless of what you've done. And that is the mystery of the gospel. That is what Jesus did for us. And that is what God wants to do for all of us today. We're going to... Um, take communion now. So I'm going to ask uh, my able assistants to uh, perhaps get the, the stuff ready. We're going to do it this way. The Bible actually tells us, and we've spoken about this before, but we're going to do this as a deeper act today. The Bible says if you take communion where we get together and we remember the sacrifice of Jesus and we, we drink uh, we take some bread to remind us of his body and we, we drink some wine to remind us of the blood that was shed. The Bible says if you do that, you are welcome. As long as you love the Lord, you are welcome to partake in that act. But the Bible also says that if you take communion, you must first examine yourself. And if there is any sin in you, you must put it right with God before you take communion. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. So what we're going to do together as an act of repentance and confession jointly is we are going to read the psalm that David wrote after he'd committed adultery with Bathsheba. Okay? We're going to read this psalm together, but we're going to do it in a prayerful attitude. You can all read the words behind me. But this is what David did. This was the, the psalm that David wrote in confession, in repentance. And it really speaks. When you realize the magnitude of what David had done, not just committing adultery, but actually murdering somebody, you can begin to see the depth in these words. So as you begin to prepare to take communion, would you with me read out together this psalm? You can see the words on the screen. Okay. Have mercy on me, O God. Will you read it all out loud? Okay, can you read them? There's another, there's another verse there. No. There it is. Okay. Let's start again. 
Okay, so we're going to read this verse out, these verses out. There's about 12 altogether. We're going to read this psalm together. So say with me, okay? Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this story that we've read this afternoon that we've thought about. And we thank you that that somehow throughout the years this story of David just echoes to so many of us. We thank you that the story didn't end with that act of murder. It ended with an act of restoration from you. There were consequences, Father, that David paid for the rest of his life. He never knew what peace was. He lost a son as a result of what happened. Sometimes, Father, when we've sinned, we we can't escape the consequences. But we can know that you meet us at our place of sin and shame. You stoop down to us. You look us in the eye. And you tell us that you love us and that you forgive us. So we do want to pray, Father, that you will restore to us the joy of our salvation. Or perhaps, Father, for somebody, this is the first time they've even known that they can have salvation through what Jesus did. So as we come to your table now, as we we gather to take uh, Holy Communion, we remember that on the night, before Jesus was betrayed and before he was crucified, he gathered his, his disciples to him and he took some bread and he said, take and eat this bread. This is my body broken for you. And, and then we know that he took a, a, a cup, a glass of wine, and he shared it with his, his closest friends. And he said, take this wine and drink it. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you. Do this as often as you eat and drink. Do this in remembrance of me. So, Father, we come and we thank you that we have examined ourselves. We remember Jesus' sacrifice. We, We thank you for his broken body. We thank you for his shed blood. And we now receive these simple elements as a as that body, as that blood of Jesus. And we pray as we we gather together that you will indeed 
Cleanse us, forgive us, and fill us anew with your Holy Spirit. Amen. Guys, we're going to come and serve you the bread and the wine's going to be distributed at the same time. Uh, could I suggest that when you, when you receive um, the bread that you, you, you eat it uh, whenever you get it, uh, but just hold on to your, your wine glass and uh, we will all drink um, the wine together. But if you want to uh, take the bread and just say your own prayers, um, I'm not going to carry on speaking now. We're just going to have a quiet time. Before the service, we prayed that this would be a sacred time. So could I urge you, please, just be quiet before God. Just concentrate on him and make your own peace with God as you take and eat the bread, which is the body of Jesus broken for you. I think we've all, we've all been served. So, Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us and washes us of all our sins. And we drink together as your family. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Guys, just one little tiny piece of housekeeping. Um, if you can, if, you, if you've got your, your little wine glasses, when you, you leave today, there's a box just over there. If you could perhaps pop them uh, in that, that brown box, that would be really helpful. We will collect any that you forget, but if, when you go, if you remember to take those glasses, that would be helpful. I'm going to ask Pete to come up now. Uh, we're going to close our service. I think we'll probably just have one song, I think, Pete. Or uh, Yeah, and there's... Is, okay. Okay, but uh, thank you so much for listening, folks, and uh, God bless you. Thank you. Should we just say thank you to John tonight? Thank you. Amen. 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 Um, so, Tuesday, 28th of February, 2023, not here, but at the old Bull's Head in Lower Gornal on Red Hall Road, we are kicking off our latest Alpha course which is really, really exciting. Just throw your hand up if you ever uh, had a go at the Alpha course. Wow, loads and loads of people. Um, so if you've never heard of the Alpha course, the Alpha course is this. It's uh, an 11-week series where we get together and explore um, the different aspects of the Christian faith. And, um, and it, it's for people who have a faith but want to know more. It's for people that have no idea about Christianity whatsoever and would love to chat, chat it through. Um, and it's also for people who are intrigued and curious about spiritual things. And, uh, and so we're really excited. The team currently is going to be headed up by myself and my wife Rachel. Uh, and then we have Mel Allen who's on team. We have Ben Wade who's on team. Uh, we have Glynis Harvey who's on team as well. And uh, I'd really love two more people to join the Alpha team to help facilitate conversation uh, uh, to help people on their journey of faith. So if you've been a, a Christian for a while and you'd love to help people in conversation, why don't you come and see me and uh, love you to be part of that team. Um, you will see these flyers uh, are dotted around the church. There's probably one uh, on the front of your pew somewhere and you'll notice that on the back there is a QR code. If you hold your camera on your phone up to this QR code and click the link, it'll take you straight to this Springs Church Alpha 2020 
23 page and you can sign up for Alpha right there and that will let us know who's coming, how we're going to sort out the catering and uh, how many people to expect. Can I encourage you church, if you've done Alpha and you know it's absolutely brilliant, why don't you invite a friend, why don't you ask someone to come along with you. Listen, we're going to the pub every Tuesday for 11 weeks, what are you waiting for? And uh, we're going to have a great time, great conversation and uh, yeah, so uh, please do pray for, for Alpha starting on Tuesday the 28th. Thanks again for listening. To hear more of our messages, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast channel for past preachers. If you feel like you got something out of today's message, why not share it with your friends and spread the good news of Jesus? We are praying for you. We love you. So please, if you need anything at all, check out springschurch.co.uk. God bless.